getting started this morning. It is, of course, Christmas season or Advent season, right? So this is the last Sunday before, and I want to talk this morning about having an Advent attitude. In other words, the big event is one week away, and this is your pregame pep talk. Uh, Get you fired up for celebrating Christmas in the right way, so you don't just kind of, you know, skate through it and, uh, you know, get the presents open and hurry up and get to your nap. So uh, Advent, of course, is a season, and it just... It comes from the Latin word adventus, which just means coming. So it's a celebration of his coming. But what I want you to know is it is traditionally an all-encompassing celebration of his coming, not just that a baby was born, because the world is pretty okay with the baby Jesus. Uh, It's the grown-up Jesus that causes problems. So um, we want to look at that this morning. His coming... uh, is traditionally his first coming as a man, as a baby who grew up and revealed Jesus in the earth. His personal coming, if you have uh, been born again, Jesus has personally come to you and dwells inside you, right? And third, his second coming. He is coming again. He promised that will happen. And so all of those things are wrapped up in celebrating uh, Christmas in celebrating Advent season, all three of those. And it, it makes me think of the new title that Jesus has given in the book of Revelation. We don't see it before. It makes a lot more sense after his ascension. Uh, we see it four times in the book of Revelation. A lot of references in your notes. I'm not going to read them all. You guys can go look at those later. Uh, but the title is The One Who Was and Who Is and Who Is to Come. And this is what we are celebrating in the Advent season. Jesus, the one who was and who is and who is to come. So it's not just about the baby. We can expand our understanding. And uh, the truth is, um, Christmas, as you all know, is a made-up holiday anyway. So we can do whatever we want. It's not like it's a biblical holiday. But it is a time when the world is at least willing to glance at Jesus. And we probably ought to take advantage of that, shouldn't we? So we're going to talk about a lot of this is tradition, and there's a lot of uh, scriptures that are traditionally read, and so we're going to look at some of those this morning, okay? So here's our message, and the first two we're going to go through pretty quickly, and we're going to hang on the last one a bit. Our first message is that he was God with us. He came to reveal the Father. He walked the earth, and watching Jesus, we got to see what the Father was like. And mostly, we got to see the Father's love. We had no idea the Father was that loving until we saw Jesus living it out, ultimately uh, with his death on the cross. And we see this revealed in the passage that's often read out of Matthew 1, when an angel appears to Joseph. Joseph is a good guy, and he's got himself a young woman he wants to marry, but she's pregnant, and he hadn't had anything to do with that, and he's concerned, right? And so an angel comes and is going to tell Joseph, you know the story. You don't have to worry. God has this thing under control. Here's what he says. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You understand the implications. That means this child is going to be God. It's a child of God, literally. The Holy Spirit has conceived this child. It's not going to be a child of Joseph. 
He's going to be the you know, adoptive father. So he's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's very specific. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, this is out of Isaiah, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. Now, he wasn't, he was obviously literally called Jesus, but uh, we refer to him as Emmanuel, the time God came to the earth and dwelt with us. Again, sometimes we, these things are so familiar that we lose the impact of them. God, who is eternal, who's never visited the earth in the form of a man before like this, comes and becomes a man and walks around for 33 years, significantly the last three, showing us what Jesus is like. That by itself is enough to celebrate, right? If Christmas were just that, that God revealed the Father, that Jesus revealed the Father, God revealed himself through Jesus, that would be enough for all the Christmas celebrating we can do. And we can celebrate that. Again, you don't have to just celebrate the baby. You can celebrate that, hey, you know that baby grew up. And if you pay attention to him, you'll know everything the father feels and his intentions towards you, right? But wait, there's more. He is also God in us. Remember, he said, it's better that I go. It's better that I not be with you so that I can be God in you. And so... He is the one who was and who is. He is God in us, a personal, familial relationship with him in the Trinity, in him in the Trinity. And all of that accomplished because he went to the cross to make a way to tear the veil for us to be literally in the Trinity with him, literally seated in Christ Jesus, literally accepted in the beloved. Once again, holy cow, that's worth celebrating. Amen. Amen? And so we covered this so thoroughly when we went through the book of John that I don't feel like I need to do a whole lot here. Uh, remember in John 15, 4, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. That was after he said in John 14, verse 2, uh, I go to make a place in the Father for you to dwell. And then in verse 23, the Father and I will make a place in you for us to dwell by the Holy Spirit. We can be in him. He will dwell in us. That is mind-blowing. That's new. That happened because Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross. And so again, that's worth celebrating. Not only did that baby grow up and show us what God is like, you can have that grown-up Jesus living inside you, and he will change your life. You can be born again. That's a good message. Amen? And all that's Christmas. All that's Advent. All that's his coming. And then, the one we're going to spend the most time on today, there is his second coming, or the third aspect of Advent. He will be God on the earth. He was God with us for a while. He is God in us forever. And he will be God on the earth. How long? Yeah, he's coming to stay, isn't he? I'm telling you, we forget this. When he comes, he's staying. He's going to rule the earth in a temple in Jerusalem. He's coming and he's staying. Things, some things are going to change around here. 
You understand this. This is Christmas. Not only does that little baby grow up to reveal the Father, not only did that little baby die for our sins as a man so that we could have the Holy Spirit indwell us, he is coming back and everything is going to change. Nothing will be the same. So let's look at that. There Again, we're looking at Christmas verses here. The first thing I want us to see is he is coming back to reign. He's not going to be uh, just, a, just a prophetic religious leader suggesting uh, what we should do. He's going to be in charge. He's going to demonstrate uh, very effectively, immediately, that he's in charge. He is coming to reign. Luke 1. This is where an angel appears to Mary. This is Mary's perspective. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be great. First time he came, he's kind of humble. Not bruising reeds, not snuffing out smoking wicks, right? Uh, This is going to be the lion version, you understand. Not the lamb version. He will be great. Awesome, mighty, powerful, glorious. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That throne is in Jerusalem. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will establish the kingdom that already exists in heaven on earth, and it will never be unestablished. That kingdom will be on earth for eternity. We got to think about these things. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of Advent, that he's coming. We, uh, we also see this, uh, going back to Isaiah chapter 9, again, a common verse that is read during Christmas. Uh, it says, for unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, Jesus given to us, given to us. The Father loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that amazing? The son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Do you hear what's being said there? He's going to establish a government, an ever-increasing government. Now, I don't even know what that looks like, like eight million years from now. And the government of Christ is still increasing. I have no idea what that looks like. But it never stops increasing. It's an ever-increasing government. And it will start when he comes to earth and establishes it in Jerusalem. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is not maybe. This will happen. The nations can rage all they want. This is going to happen. He's going to establish his government on the earth, and it will never stop increasing. It's going to happen. That's worth celebrating. That's some good Christmas stuff right there. Amen? So moving on. 
He will be God on earth coming to reign, and he is coming to establish peace. And I really want to lean into this. Now, we just saw that in Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. They go together. His government is a government of peace. So this is what the, the angel talked to the shepherds about. In Luke chapter 2, we'll read, everybody gets an encounter with an angel in this story. Uh, this time it's the shepherds. You know the shepherds are just out minding their own business and all of a sudden there's a real bright light and they freak out and fall down. They're afraid and the angel says, it's all cool guys, check it out, I got good news for you. Okay, so here it is. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. How many? Like all the people on the earth? Just the ones alive then or all the people ever on the earth? Yeah, them, all those people. Good tidings, great joy. This message is for everybody. All right? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign of you. Uh, this will be the sign to you. Uh, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That probably would have been better if I could have done it with Linus' voice, but you guys have all seen that, right? <laughs> peace, goodwill towards men. Many of your translations say, peace toward men of goodwill. Uh, either one works, but that one, the second one's probably the more accurate. At any rate, it's a message of peace coming with the kingdom is peace. And again, this is what we're celebrating. This is awesome. Peace, goodwill towards men. The last time God dealt with men wholesale, it was a flood and only eight people made it out. That's how God deals with people wholesale without the cross. But now the angel looking through the cross says peace, goodwill. God's got a plan to redeem this whole mess, fix this whole thing. Now, there's three things that I want you to see today, and uh, I think they're all significant. The first is this. We're talking about his coming. Now, as soon as I say that, um, how many of you are really into eschatology? If you don't know what the word means, you're not. <laughs> only, only one person, two, three. Okay, good. Then probably we'll be okay. Uh, uh, eschatology just means the study of the end times. And, and uh, you know, people get into this and people get weird about this and uh, people get somewhat biblical about this and, and then weird, uh, you know. So you want to stay biblical when you're dealing with stuff like that and prophecy. And so let's do that. So the first point I want you to see is that the New Testament focus is overwhelmingly on his coming, on his coming, not on the other stuff. I'm going to talk to you about that. There is a significant New Testament focus on his coming. What I mean by that is this. It is more about earth than it is about heaven. All right? It's more about earth than it is about heaven. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Uh, Rachel and I each have parents in heaven. Heaven's awesome. They're having a really good time. They're having a better time than any of you and me. 
right? Heaven's all good. Heaven doesn't need Jesus. We do. Earth needs Jesus. So it's extremely selfish and short-sighted of us to just be excited about going to heaven. I am excited about going to heaven, but I'm way more excited about his coming because that's about earth, and earth needs Jesus badly. Amen? And so we need to see that. And you would, I, I listed for you two lines, and I put them in smaller font because it wouldn't fit, of verses. I'm not going to have any time to get into this, but you feel free. Those aren't even all of them. That's just some of the good ones. Uh, go feel, look at all the verses there that deal with his coming and all the cool things it says about when he comes and his reward is with him and we will be changed and we will be like him and, and thus we'll always be with him where he is. There's amazing promises in there. But I just, at this point, all I have time to say is the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, were really, 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 really focused on his coming back. And in fact, uh, that's what the angel said in Acts. Remember, the angel said, hey, why are you guys standing here staring at the sky? He's coming back exactly how he went. And understand, we're announcing to you the next significant event in history. He'll come again. We didn't, they didn't know it would be a couple thousand years or so, right? So, there is a temptation to focus more on us sometimes than on him, to focus on ourselves and on Jesus. And we do this with his second coming by getting focused on the subsets of his coming. I'm going to list three of them, and they're all really interesting, but I, I want you to understand these are subsets. These are not the focus. Okay, um, and it's important that we, like the apostles, vividly are focused on what happens when he gets here, not about what happens to us along the way. And so the first one is, of course, the rapture, and it, there's not nearly as many verses on There's four significant places that I put in your Bible, or I'm sorry, in your notes, uh, that where the Bible talks about the rapture very explicitly. There's some others that may or may not be in peripherally, uh, but you can look at those if you want. But here's what I want you to see. Now, I, am I excited about the rapture? Absolutely. It sounds like the best ride ever, yeah. right? Way better than anything, in, you know, Space Mountain at Disney and all that stuff. <laughs> sounds awesome. I'm up for it. If I'm here, I'm going, all right? If I'm not here, I'm going. <laughs> you understand? Been a lot of weird theology on this. Let me make it very clear. And again, I don't have time to teach into this or for you to uh, explain why I'm wrong after service. So, you know, <laughs> we'll do lunch sometime. Now, here's the thing. We are not going to heaven. Jesus is coming Amen. to earth, yes. right? We meet him in the air. Where's he going? He's headed for Jerusalem. Now he's going to go around the earth to do it. But he's coming to earth. Thus we shall be with him always where he is. Where are we going? To earth. Yeah. Have you read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10? And he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall hang out in heaven. Oh, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. 
What's that? We'll reign on the earth? We're not hanging out in heaven? We're not going to watch from up there while Jesus kicks butt and takes names? You understand, all of these verses about the rapture are subsets of his coming. They're contained in his coming. He comes. We meet him. He's still coming because he's going to fix the earth. We just come with him. It's very simple. It's not hard to understand. So let's not make it crazier than we have to. Amen? Again, if you're really locked into a different eschatology, we'll talk another time. But what I want you, either way, to understand is the focus isn't us getting out of here. If that's your focus, you have not understood your purpose in the earth. The focus is doing what we're called to do while we're here and being excited about his coming to ultimately fix the earth. That's the focus. Not we get to escape all the bad stuff. That ain't going to happen. Try to preach that message in the Middle East right now or in China. Christians will escape all the bad stuff. They will look at you like you're stupid. Yep. Okay. The second one, Armageddon. That's fun to talk about when you talk about the end times, right? And there's even good movies. I think they involve, uh, uh, what, asteroids or a comet, something big hitting the earth. Uh, but, but half a dozen actors with a good sense of humor solve the problem. <laughs> right? So here's what you need to know. Again, not going to get into it a whole lot. Uh, it's only mentioned once in the Bible. As a, and uh, the reason is it's not an event. It's a place. Revelation 16, 16 is mentioned. And it's a place. It's the valley of Megiddo. It's a really long valley that runs from uh, the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the Jordan. It's, I think, like 20 miles north. Is that right? About 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a great place to gather an army. So it's a valley, the Valley of Megiddo. And again, it's not an event like the entire earth is going to be, have some kind of Armageddon where there's, you know, mutant zombies and we're all, uh, you know, playing a big video game in real life. Uh, it's, it's not like that. It's, all it is, is Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. Um, all the armies of the nations of the earth, I'm going to, they want to take out Israel, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather them. They think it's their idea. I'm going to gather them in this valley, and then I'm going to come to the earth, and we're going to have a battle. It's going to last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then there's going to be a lot of blood in that valley, and it's going to take them, I forget, is it like seven years to clean up all the deadness? after he's taken out the armies of the nations of the earth. That's it. Again, it's about his coming. And, and it's not even the nations of the earth gathering. It's, it's he gathers them. He goes, yeah, they've, they've been wanting to do this for a long time. They want to square off. I'm going to do it. I've been putting it off. I love them. I've been giving every chance I can for people to repent. Uh, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. But... All right, the time has come. I'm going to gather them all in this spot. I'm going to deal with them. Bam, we're done. That is the deal. Not something to get our focus on more than he's coming to redeem the earth. And the final one, the Antichrist. It's always fun. People, I mean, if you've read an article where somebody thinks they figure out who the Antichrist is, right? Like, what do you do when you figure out who it is? Are you going to not vote for him? What? 
He's, it's going to happen. All the things, he's going he's to sit in the temple of God and proclaim himself as God. And no amount of us knowing who he is ahead of time is going to stop that because that's God's plan. God said that's going to happen. I don't know why we get wrapped around that. I'm like, I don't care. Whoever he is, I'll be able to tell. Trust me, I'll know. If the guy's sitting there saying he's God, I will know that's the Antichrist. That one is not going to be a tough one. So, I'm just going to read this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, because it talks about his coming. It says, and then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, there's lots more verses about the Antichrist, but I kind of feel like that's all I need to know. <laughs> Jesus has got him covered. I don't need to worry about him. I just need to stick with Jesus. You understand what I'm saying here? Let's not get, let our focus drift onto us and how we're going to survive and what are we going to do. And Guys, way before all this happens, you can be having those issues. Again, there's many countries and nations where uh, Christians are being persecuted and having those issues now. That's not the deal. Let's keep our focus on He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And besides, it's Christmas. It's Advent. So that's our focus now. Now, so he's coming to reign. He's also coming to establish peace, right? So point two on the back side of your notes, his peace is the answer to all our concerns. Anybody got concerns? Have you kind of given up on there being political solutions to those concerns? There, there never are long-term political solutions to human concerns because his peace is the answer to all our concerns. Jesus is the answer to all our concerns. Only he can do that. And so I love uh, the proclamation, the song we sang, even the, the expression, there is no peace on earth, I said, but I, I thought about it more and I realized, oh, but it's coming. It's basically what that song says, right? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Even, even the world will say that at this time of year. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. They're just missing an element, which I'll talk about in a minute. So, here's my question. John 10, 34, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, wait a minute. Was the angel wrong? Didn't the angel just say, Baby, peace on earth, goodwill towards men? What do you mean, I did not come to bring peace on earth? Well, it's a fine point, but he did come to bring peace, just not yet on earth. John 14, 27, and we were just looking at this as we went through John. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, Jesus came to give peace, but he starts out. He gives peace first internally to those who are of goodwill, to those who believe him. He will give you his Holy Spirit. He will put peace in you. And so it's not so much peace on earth as peace in us. And then we have the opportunity to advance peace in the earth. You understand? 
And so it's not a contradiction. It's just a not yet. He will ultimately bring peace to the earth. But there's a sword right now because there's those who want his peace and there's those who don't. We've talked about that. We, we talked about that pretty thoroughly. We couldn't miss it going through John uh, 14 through 16. So he says, don't be afraid. You can have peace. Even uh, I don't give peace the way the world does. The world's peace depends on peaceful circumstances. I can give you peace that's independent of peaceful circumstances. I can make you not afraid when everyone else around you is afraid. In fact, you'll kind of stand out for your not afraidness, right? So this is what he's saying. And then we saw again in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So he says, yes, I've introduced the peace of the kingdom of God into the earth. But it's only as you abide in me. It's in me. And it's in you as you are in me. In the world, yeah, you're going to have tribulation. They're not going to like your peace. They're going to resist your peace. In fact, that is the point of conflict with the world. And why it's so important, especially at this time of year, that we have that message of peace that Christmas so opens people up to. But we know the truth. And the truth is this. And so, first thing we need to do, I'll get to the truth in a minute. I want to hit a couple things first. The first thing we need to do is understand that this peace is the point of conflict in two ways. One, inside us. In other words, we need to guard our peace in our hearts against the spirit of the world. We understand that we have an obligation to impact the world with our peace. We need to also understand that the devil, through the world, which is under the sway of the wicked one, wants to steal our peace and make us ineffective in impacting the world. So how does he do that? Fear, lies, all those things. Guys, I, I like being aware. I check the news probably daily. Uh, I'm fairly politically aware. Uh, I'm not going to you know, put all my, I'm not really counting on anybody in that realm to save me. <laughs> but I want to be aware and I want to be praying. But I'll tell you this, I cannot watch the news and regularly digest it without Jesus, without processing it with him. God, what are you doing? Because if I do, if I start to listen to that more than I'm listening to him, I will not have peace. You understand, uh, and so I'm, I'm not saying go shut yourself off and don't be aware of the bad things are in the earth. I'm saying uh, you need to be aware that the earth will try and steal your peace. There's all kinds of fear and negativeness. And, you know, you just watch a movie, and you can, you can have half a dozen diseases you need drugs for uh, unless you get up during the commercials and go do something else, Right? That box in your house is, is partly there to steal your peace. You've got to guard that peace. So, you know, we just mock them. Uh, that's how we do it. Uh, but uh, my point being, you know, that God puts that there. And we abide there. And we can keep that. But it's active. It's not just, well, I have his peace. I'm good to go. Um, the world wants to take it. There's all kinds of things. You've got to check stuff out. You've got to go, God, what are you saying about this? 
We have to guard his peace against the spirit of the world because his peace is a witness in the earth, especially at this time. His peace is a witness in the earth. Our having peace when others don't. Uh, the bearing the fruit of the Spirit is a witness of His kingdom in the earth. Amen? Amen? So, the second thing is we have the opportunity to advance His peace in the world. So, it's not like Jesus came and went, bam, peace now. He came and went, bam, peace to everyone who believes in me. Now, you guys see how far you can spread that out, right? And so, that's our mission, to advance his kingdom. I love Matthew eleven twelve. The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. It's ironic to me that we are forceful in projecting peace. We are aggressive with the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But that's what we do. We, we advance his kingdom through peace. How about uh, Matthew six ten, the Lord's Prayer? In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now that, that's look like, well, just on earth as it is in heaven. What's in heaven? Peace. See if you can get that here. Well, how do we do that? Well, that's why he said the Lord's Prayer. We pray. We model peace and we pray. And guys, I know this is the hardest thing for Christians to believe, but our prayers have an effect in the earth. Amen. Why did Peter, I'm sorry, why did Paul tell Timothy to pray for those in authority over him. Remember? It's a first, first uh, I think I put it in here. It's either for, I always forget if it's first or second. It's first Timothy. First Timothy 2. Pray for those who are in authority of you. Why? So that you may live quiet and peaceable lives. What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying that these maniacs that are in authority over us that if we start to pray for them, it will actually enable us to live quiet and peaceful lives, that our prayers can somehow bring the peace of the kingdom of God to bear on an earth that doesn't really even want it? Is that what you're saying, Paul? Some of you are nodding your heads like you think that's what he's saying. All right, we'll see at the prayer meetings. So we war for peace by abiding in peace and by praying his kingdom into the earth. Amen? So here's what I want you to see. The world, even the world, values peace at Christmas. You can go ask people who haven't been to church in years, what's Christmas about? And you'll get answers like uh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. They don't understand they're quoting an angel. They just, they've heard that. They've watched It's a Wonderful Life or something. And so, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. They'll go there. What they don't know what we must display is that that peace is only in Christ. And so that's our message. Hey, you understand that peace on earth, goodwill towards men thing is tied to that baby Jesus. The angel said that about him who grew up and displayed God and died so that we could have that peace on earth, goodwill towards men dwelling in us. And by the way, he's coming back to spread that peace on earth, goodwill towards men all over the earth, corner to corner. That's the Christmas message. Amen? So, point number three. He will come again to bring peace on earth after a brief, terrible, bloody conflict. Uh, we'll have Armageddon, and then everything else from that point on will be moving towards peace on earth. The first thing he's going to do is remove those who refuse 
peace. He's being patient. He's waiting. He's giving everyone opportunity to choose his peace. At some point, he'll say, time's up. And you've made your choice. And all those who refuse to enter into peace, he'll deal with. And then we will have not just uh, peace in our hearts, but literally peace on the earth. Let me read you a couple of verses. I love in Romans 16, 20, where it says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. A little ironic, but I love that our warfare is about peace. His warfare is about peace. Even the, the, the most horrendous thing that's ever probably going to happen on the earth, the Battle of Armageddon, is about establishing peace. He will crush Satan because he is the God of peace. And then what happens? Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Guys, that's really going to happen on this earth. Can you imagine that? I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine right now all the nations of the earth, and none of them have any armies. None of them have tanks or fighter jets or weapons. West Point and Annapolis are now seminaries Amen. because no one needs to learn war anymore. Amen. You understand that's going to happen. Jesus will come, and there will be no armies on the earth. That's never happened before. He will do that. That is worth getting excited about. Merry Christmas, earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. His peace is the solution to all of our concerns, and he will come again and bring peace on the earth. And the earth is really excited about this. We're going to read you one last passage here. The earth, it says, eagerly waits for this, and we should also. Let's see how the earth feels about this as the earth weighs in. Romans 8, 19 through 21. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that's the earth and everything in it, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, I believe the revealing of the sons of God is a reference to his coming when we are changed, when we see him, and we are like him. And it says... Uh, that when he comes, we also shall be glorified as he is glorified. I think that's the revealing of the sons of earth, when suddenly the sons of earth have, re- have been changed and become like him and receive glory and are ready to reign in the earth. And the earth is going, finally, I have been eagerly looking for this. Why? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Isn't that awesome? God's going to change us. We're going to rule on the earth. The earth is so excited about this happening because it gets changed. Guys, not just there's no armies in, in Annapolis and West Point are gone, uh, you know, where... Uh, we know that the waters in the Dead Sea, for example, get healed. That's about the only change that's going to happen in the earth. There's going to be all kinds of cool things, you know. Uh, uh, places where 
stuff wouldn't grow, it begins to grow now. And the earth begins to be able to function as it was designed to function because it's no longer subject to corruption. Amen. This is a very exciting thing that we're celebrating here at Christmas. The second coming of Jesus to make all things right. And we should be excited about this. I love Hebrews 9, 28. It says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Are you eagerly waiting for him to come? That's what we're celebrating, isn't it? We can celebrate that now. Maybe he'll come in a couple years. Maybe he'll come in a hundred years. We don't know. We can celebrate it now. We just, they were the apostles. They were off a couple thousand years. They were still celebrating it. We can make Christmas whatever we want. Advent, the coming of Jesus. Let's celebrate. Let's eagerly wait for his coming. Let's talk about this with our kids. Hey, let me tell you a story about what the earth is going to be like. All right? Stuff like that. Stuff's in the Bible for a reason. Now, we aren't the first ones. Um, joy to the world. How many of you know joy to the world? It should be everybody here. You guys heard that song at Christmas. It is the most published Christian hymn ever. It's about 300 years old. It was published by Isaac Watts in 1719. Okay, now, this is a cool story. I, he was 38 at the time he published uh, this psalm, Joy to the World. But when he was 18, he was complaining to his dad about how terrible the psalms were in church and the lyrics were stupid. Uh, right? You guys probably never heard that. These lyrics are stupid, Mom. And the dad said, uh, well, why don't you give us something better? And so he started writing hymns, and they started playing him in church. Young people, feel free. Give us something better. Maybe they'll be singing your song 300 years from now. Now, you got to stick with it, because it took him 20 years before he got, you know, joy to the world. But they were still doing his songs in church. Anyway, here's how he got it. He was working through the Psalms. He was writing a, a book of uh, verse or poem uh, about the Psalms with a New Testament perspective. And so he's looking through Psalm 98. And it's all about rejoicing and joy of the world. And he starts thinking about Jesus coming again, the New Testament perspective. And he wrote Joy of the World. And then someone put it to music. And then People kept putting it to music, and you can find about, I don't know, 20 different adaptations of Joy to the World online, of different people adding different things to it. And here's the thing. The song is completely about Christ's second coming. We do this every Christmas. We sing Joy to the World about Christ's second coming. We're celebrating it. Amen. I just want you to be aware of it. So the next time you sing it, you think about the lyrics and go, oh yeah, we're singing about a healed earth, a redeemed people, peace on earth for real, goodwill towards men. So uh, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Um, I usually let them sing what they want, but I asked Rachel to be prepared to sing Joy to the World. Who wants to celebrate his second coming at Christmas by singing Joy to the World, knowing exactly what it means? Uh, making it about him, singing to him with excitement because we know it's going to be awesome when he fixes everything 
when he comes and his peace solves every single one of our problems. I am so looking forward to that. Plus, and by the way, I know we'll be here on earth running, but we'll have our new bodies, so I think we'll get to visit heaven. It's okay. You still get to go. But you, you got to get some work done, too. Somebody's got to rule Palm Bay, right? Maybe it could be you. Amen? All right. Amen. Let's stand. Let's just worship. We can do that when you, we got about 15 minutes. You can do whatever you want after that. And when we get done being happy about celebrating Christmas, we'll go home and, uh, you know, wrap presents. Amen.